Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Uh, Well, the group stages of the Champions League are now over and despite pulling various levers, Barcelona have not qualified for the knockout stages. What has gone wrong then, and probably more importantly, what are the financial consequences of being eliminated? Plus, with other Champions League stalwarts, Atletico and Juventus also going out, does a less predictable Champions League make for a better competition and weaken the argument for a European Super League. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Spanish football journalist Alvaro Romeo and the Athletics Oli Kay. Come on to the bigger picture with all the all the these big clubs going out in a, in a little while. But Alvaro, let let's start with Barcelona, um, who whose financial issues and financial turmoil is presumably going to get worse because of the elimination. I think that Barcelona's worries are going to get only worse because the team had budgeted to reach the Champions League quarterfinals uh, because they did a hell of an investment in the summer, just uh, making sure or they wanted to make sure that the team was going to be competitive again, which uh, they are uh, at a certain degree, definitely domestically. But then in Europe, the, um, the team hasn't been up to the challenge, maybe the manager neither. And this financially will have some repercussions, of course. I think that um, it is not unthinkable to, um, to predict that Barcelona will try to trigger will uh, new levers this summer and um, obviously if they can offload a couple of players and probably the three captains uh, who are making a lot of money and are draining Barcelona's finances well that would be a success for Barcelona the the only I mean we keep going back to these levers don't they mainly because they talked about them in the first place is is the only lever left available to them the selling of players or getting players off their wage book? Uh, Well, that is one of the options, but there is another one uh, that they didn't exert last summer, which is uh, selling BLM, uh, which is Barcelona Licensing uh, Merchandising, which is a company that Barcelona owns. And um, they can actually sell up to a 49% of it because the club got permission from the from uh, some of the special members of the club that voted for that back in summer. So... That will be a, a lever that will be considered definitely to trigger. And another one uh, will be probably selling some footballers. I mean, it's not unthinkable again to believe that by next season, Sergio Busquets is not going to be playing for Barcelona. Sergio Busquets is on really high wages. The Piqué um, contract is more difficult to sort because Barcelona still owes him some money and Piqué has a contract until 2024. Same thing applies to Jordi Alba. They tried to send him to Inter back on loan in summer and um, Jordi Alba didn't want that didn't like it didn't like the club treatment so 
you know, if these three players are uh, three that Barcelona can save some money from, uh, they will try to do that. And uh, maybe they have to even sell a proper superstar if uh, actually the finances don't fit for Barcelona. And uh, every time we talk about the superstar, the name of Frankie de Jong um, comes onto the platform because it, he's a player with a great market because he's a player that potentially in the World Cup he's going to do very well. And because uh, even though Xavi likes Frankie de Jong, well, maybe he's not uh, his preferred midfielder. They owe him money as well, don't they? I mean, isn't this another... Comp- I mean, they've got themselves in such a mess on so many different levels, haven't they? Yeah, and uh, the ferrying wages uh, sounded like a very nonsensible idea because, you know, it was going to hit at you at some point in the future. So... That's the thing, that uh, it's a very intricate and complicated financial situation for Barcelona. We can all agree on that. I think that they've got a couple of very expert people working on that, like Matteo Alemani, the exporting director, who has done a very good job in summer. But the problem with Barcelona is that probably they think with this squad, we don't have enough uh, players just to qualify for the Champions League, to go far in the Champions League, but we want to do that. So it is a very thin balance between... um, reinforcing the squad, which at the minute sounds pretty much unthinkable, and uh, at the same time, staying competitive or increasing the competitiveness of the club. It looks very difficult, really. It really does, but uh, as I said before, I wouldn't be very surprised if Barcelona has a very busy summer again, and they will try definitely to trigger that lever, I said, uh, BLM. How much is there a sense of panic around the club? Because you could look at it the other way, couldn't you, Alvaro, and go, look, they got they got a fairly fairly difficult group really with, with the exception of uh Victoria Pilsen but they got they got a difficult group with Bayern and Inter as well and they are doing well in the league at Barcelona I know they didn't have a great El Clasico but they're doing okay in the league so how much is there a sense of panic it's a little bit ambivalent here and sometimes you get contradictory versions from Barcelona. The president, John Laporta, is a natural optimistic and uh, he will always say that everything is fine, that they will make sure that uh, the thing goes in the right direction, that financially they still have some um, some health. But uh, the truth is that then uh, if you talk to any financial advisor, they tell you that Barcelona are in big trouble. That from the financial point of view. From the sporting point of view, yes, Barcelona had a very difficult group in the Champions League. They, who, they would have appreciated having an easier draw. That didn't happen. But the problem is that they weren't competitive against Bayern, who has been the club's behemoth over the last four years, and they weren't competitive against Inter either. And probably losing against Bayern, and losing especially the way they lost against Bayern, Natalia and Serena, was something that uh, didn't upset Barcelona too much. But definitely not being able to compete at San Siro, neither in Barcelona against Inter Milan, despite snatching a draw in the last minute, well, this is something that, that upsets Barcelona a lot. because. Uh, there was a consensus uh, back in August that Bayern was going to come first and then Barcelona and Inter were going to be playing for the second spot. Well, there hasn't been a fight, really. Mm, by match day six of the Champions League, Barcelona was out. So yes, it's been very, very depressing for them. But then the contradictory stuff is that in La Liga, they are doing very well. Maybe their numbers, they are a little bit inflated. They should have conceded many more goals, but well, they are there. They are where they want to be. And um, if you see... Guardiola's first 38 games in La Liga and Xavi's first 38 games in La Liga, well, they got exactly the same amount of wins 
draws and losses. So, you know, in La Liga they are doing well, but Real Madrid is doing so well as well that maybe Barcelona is not standing out. But I think that uh, La Liga is now the main target of Barcelona, of course, and winning it to Real Madrid, because Atletico is no longer a challenger this season, is going to be very satisfactory. Back to Europe, Oli. Good thing for European football that a few of the big established names have gone out or a worrying thing for European football? I think it's an interesting novelty. I think I think it's I think it's pleasing in some ways that after years of just seeing the same the same procession of clubs in in the in the semi-finals and and final. I mean, for years it was Barcelona, Real Madrid, and and two others. I mean, often Bayern, often Juventus, often Atletico Madrid, sometimes an English team. But in that period, in the sort of mid mid twenty tens, it was you know th- those teams just seemed utterly dominant. It was incredibly predictable. We've actually seen different teams reaching finals and semi-finals over the last three or four seasons, even if Liverpool... But a lot of them are English. I know, I know. So, so the rest of Europe the rest of Europe might be going, well, there's not that much no, variety. I know, I know but it, it, I mean, to be honest, in the era of Super League talks and all that kind of thing, I regard it as pretty unhealthy and, and, and disturbing that, that the Premier League clubs seem to be so dominant. But I do think it's it's refreshing that we've seen Club Bruges getting through and, and um, Porto and, and Benfica getting through because if you look at if you look even I think it was 2019-20 I think it was the, six, the last 16 was entirely from England, France, Germany, Italy, Spain just from those five leagues I think the following season there was only one team Porto from outside those leagues so it depends whether we're talking about more variety this season being and last being caused by the decline of the Spanish clubs, possibly, or the improvement of clubs from Portugal and, and, and Belgium and so on, and Holland. I like to see sometimes some of the big clubs not making this at last 16, but obviously it invites questions about you know, the state of Spanish football or, or the state of the Premier League in the past, because we, you know, we certainly had years and years where where we were saying, you know, Premier League teams were just really underachieved on the European stage. Is there an appreciation, Alvaro, in Spain for the unpredictability of the Champions League or is there just general concern that La Liga has just one one club, albeit the European champions, in the last 16 for the first time in two decades? There is a concern, there is a depression and um, also since... uh, most of um, sports-based uh, literature is written from Madrid. I don't think that there is a proper perception of how bad this is because, you know, if Real Madrid is doing very well, the most influential media outlets are in Madrid. Many times they are going to write positive stuff about Real Madrid and that will somehow not water down, but definitely eclipse what happened to the other sides. Okay, so Barcelona has become a laughing stock for the same reason because uh, Madrid-based outlets, they write about Barcelona, how bad they are doing. Then with Atletico, um, I think that for the first time, Simeone is under questioning. And then with Sevilla, there is an understanding that uh, this Sevilla cannot compete, not even for the Europa League. But the feeling in Spain is that the Premier League is the big thing now. And we have seen many footballers who play for Betis, Villarreal, uh, the manager of Villarreal, for example, just aiming to travel and to move to the Premier League as soon as they get an offer. But uh, I can only feel a little bit of admiration for the Premier League as well because they've been doing very well over the last years. I think that the lucrative uh, TV contract they signed in 2015 for the 2016-2019 rights uh, cycle was a total 
game changer. And look, uh, when the Super League was announced, the Superliga was announced, in Spain there was not big contestation. I know that there was a pandemic, I know that the grounds were empty, but still, I went to Stanford Bridge the day after the Super League was announced, and there was a riot over there, almost, because the fans didn't want that. I wish my country would have done something like that, and me, as a fan of Athletic Club Bilbao, I wish my fellow citizens would have done something like that. Just go in the streets and say, we don't want this, but we haven't had this in Spain. And maybe because there is an understanding that Barcelona and Real Madrid will always be on top. And if they play the Super League, you know, it's just a natural step to what's happening. Given the advantage of the Madrid-based media and and what they write, as, as long as Real Madrid are doing well in Europe, will it be fed out that whilst the Premier League is the big thing, it's not too big a thing because Real Madrid are competing against it. Maybe, but how long is the future of this narrative? Because if you are totally reliant on Real Madrid to compete with the English sides and no one else can compete against them, um, one day Real Madrid is not going to win the Champions League, probably this year. So then disappointment will come. So I think it is very important for Spanish football that uh, the clubs are they just... Uh, improve this uh, current situation, this current cycle. I think that Barcelona will do it because they aim to be as good as Real Madrid in the league and therefore that improves automatically their level everywhere they go. But for Atletico and for Sevilla, it's going to be more difficult. Atletico had a fantastic decade in the past. Sevilla too. I don't think that they will be able to replicate such decades. That's for sure. Let's see. There are some vibrant teams over there like Betis, like Real Sociedad, like... Uh, perhaps Athletic Club Bilbao, who can actually break the roof and make it to the top four. But at the minute, it looks very difficult to compete for the Premier League sides, apart from Barcelona and Real Madrid, of course. And Oli, that's why originally I said, is it is it good or is it worrying? Because if, if, if two of the European Super League founders, Juventus and Barcelona, have already gone, then you can bet your bottom dollar that behind the scenes negotiations are going to be ramped up. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the article I wrote last week on this subject was, you know, was highlighting that it's only a couple of uh, years since Andrea Agnelli at Juventus was saying, oh, the difficulty with the current Champions League is is that it's too predictable. We all know which which teams will get through to knockout stages. Uh, and you know, the subtext being that this is why this is why we need reform. This is why we need something like a, 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 a super league. That was his big argument at the time. And you can bet now that that Juventus, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid haven't made it uh, through the knockout stages. Manchester United didn't even qualify. Arsenal didn't qualify. So that's that's five of you know, five really big clubs in Europe who are not going to be in the Champions League knockout stages. There will no doubt be some. I mean, you can just imagine it now. There'll be one of these business and sport, whatever conferences, and Agnelli or Perez will be sort of shaking their heads solemnly and saying, oh, look, look at the viewing figures from, say, Porto v um, Club Bruges, whatever, you know, some more low-profile, low-key uh, matches in, in the knockout stages. And they will be saying that this is why we need a Super League. And it just feels to me like they will use any argument to argue for the Super League. It's too predictable. We need a Super League. It's not predictable enough. We need a Super League. So someone like me and I think Alvaro and probably yourself who was repulsed by the idea of the Super League and, and, and probably felt like um, joining those protests on the streets ourselves, it's 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 wearying that, that you can just see 
them using this season and the struggles of certain big clubs to to argue for the Super League because there's always there are always big clubs underperforming. Liverpool underperformed for for years. AC Milan have underperformed. Arsenal are sort of just re-emerging. You can't always be on top all the time. But given the financial issues, which brings us back to the start of the podcast, doesn't it, Alvaro? You know that that then that then gives Barcelona. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the counter argument is you go well you've just mismanaged it it's your it's your own fault but the, but they will argue that for building a super brand in a global sporting world unpredictability cannot work. Kind of um, has two branches. Uh, there is a a club run very well like Real Madrid despite uh, all the Mbappé saga and all that that didn't make any sense for the last four years. The truth is that they have managed to save money. And during the pandemic, they didn't suffer major losses. And then there was Barcelona. That model was totally unsustainable. The former president, Bartomeu, who was um, kicked out after a vote of no confidence, uh, he was sporting, just uh, he was showing off Barcelona's finances four years ago. And now when you look back at those headlines, they are really uh, hilarious. He was saying that uh, Barcelona was the first club in the world with a million, a billion, sorry, of um, income, things like this, but yeah, but they had 999 million of uh, expenses. So they had a day-by-day policy, Rambo-like, that didn't work. I mean, they were living to the date and that was not sustainable. If um, the Super League happens or not, it's something that I cannot predict, but Barcelona knows now that with La Liga being, tre- being tremendously strict about the salary cap they've got, with the Bartomeu experience, the former president, well, Laporta and the board, they have to be very careful with every step they make. So I think that uh, Barcelona could have died financially, but they haven't. They are in danger still, but at least the new president and the board have managed to create a financial program which will give on paper stability to the team. So these are good things. But I believe that the Superliga thing is still in the minds of Florentino Perez. He is the main man who is trying to spur on this thing. If uh, Real Madrid wants to be there, obviously Barcelona wants to be there as well. And Atletico will knock on their door and say, well, I am the third club in Spain. I want to be there too. So I believe that the Superliga thing is not in Articulo Mortis. It's not death at all. I believe that uh, at least in Spain, there are two major clubs, and especially one, Florentino Perez, uh, being the main head, who is still plotting behind the scenes. The role of those clubs, Ollie, who are not the the giants. So, and and Alvaro mentioned Atletico there. So, Atletico, third team in Spain, they haven't made the last sixteen as well. The the concern, I suppose, for those who would be against the European Super League would be that next rung down be, be, behind the super clubs when they start to go on board because they're missing out on knockout stages and they're being affected by unpredictability, which at one stage was what they needed to get to where the rung that the rung that they are on at the moment. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when you put it like that. Yeah, Atletico Madrid have, as the third team in Spain probably, would, would, would probably traditionally have thought, well, we need to really go go some to, to outperform, say, you know, Benfica or, or Ajax or, or you know Turkish clubs. This season's been different because because they've you know, they've been so poor. Severe have been so poor. So poor. I think Barcelona's situation is slightly different because they were in a tough group and and um, you know 
obviously they, they ended up with seven points, which is not great, but it's a slightly different situation. It's not such dire underperformance, I don't think. I think it's actually in some ways, it's a, it's a Barcelona's Champions League campaign is probably in some ways better than last year when, when, when they finished third in a the group they really should have got through. But it's, yeah, it, it, it's those teams that like Real Madrid who, oh, sorry, Atletico Madrid who, you know, well, you know, they're not going to be at the forefront of those conversations, but but they are, they desperately want to be part of them. And so to, you know, whatever it was, 18 months ago, did, you know, Tottenham and Arsenal and Man City and Chelsea, you know, not, not, the traditional biggest brands in, in English football, which would be Liverpool and Manchester United, but but you know, they all wanted to be part of it until until some of them, Chelsea and Man City, initially realised that this was a PR disaster and we didn't they didn't want to be a part of it. I'm sure when those conversations intensify or re-intensify, a lot of those clubs who have sort of distanced themselves from the idea will be um will be back at the table. I think we we would all agree, wouldn't we, that sport is cyclical uh, and if it wasn't then you know you would you you wouldn't end up with any shocks or any change or uh, it would always we'd always have the same dominance alvaro when you look at the dominance of the premier league at the moment do you think it will change at some at some point in the near future or do you think the financial horse has bolted so much that there's no chance of of getting it back. I think that the financial hole is massive right now. There is a gap. It's tectonic, really. It's like uh, there is a, a, an ocean between uh, the rest of the leagues and the Premier League now in terms of money. The Premier League can pretty much sign any player from any Spanish side from the fourth to the bottom. If uh, there are any dangers um, around the corner for the Premier League, that could be, and it's not a real danger, but uh, you know what I mean. I think that, for example, uh, if there was a bigger regulation, maybe that could slow down a little bit the growth of the Premier League. Like, for example, La Liga has a salary cap. Maybe the Premier League, if they activate something like this, that could happen. Then there was this Lee Strass report uh, released last year. Uh, if something like this come in place uh, and there is a bigger regulation or perhaps um, there is a, a bigger control over the ownerships of the Premier League that could slow down the Premier League a little bit as well. But uh, generally speaking, I don't see any big impediments for the Premier League to keep on being the best in the world. In fact, I think that the Spanish football uh, has been in many ways copied uh, by many Premier League sides. Monchi was a pioneer in the sporting direction for Sevilla. Now many Premier League sides do fantastic recruitment, uh, Brighton being one of them. For example, they signed Moises Caicedo, an Ecuadorian player. I think that uh, also um, Barcelona has a model and Manchester City replicated it, basically buying the best talent from Barcelona in 2010. In 2009, they are doing a very good job in the Premier League. For, for the Spanish clubs to to grow, it's very difficult in this uh, scenario because they really have to abide a very strict rule by La Liga and then the financial fair play from UEFA. So they've got over there like two stop caps, and that slows them slows them down a lot. Alvaro, do people criticise? Do the media and the fans in Spain criticise the the financial regulation that La Liga um, sort of stipulates? Because to me, from the outside. That financial regulation, although Barcelona's fans might have cursed it, that has actually saved Barcelona. That has saved, that has saved them being in enormous breach of UEFA's regulations and it has probably saved them from inflicting further damage to themselves because I would be in favour of that kind of regulation in the Premier League. I know, I know not everybody would be, but it's I, 
I think that would be healthy. Whether it would be whether it would make Premier League clubs stronger, I don't know. But I think it would. Uh, it, it would. I think it would bring more stability, and I think it would. It would just bring more control and more um, more regulation in in a area where sort of anyone, absolutely anyone, can can own a Premier League club and. Sometimes the you know sometimes that works well for the club, but but comes with some dangering, damaging small print, and sometimes it doesn't work well for the club at all. I I I, I prefer a, reg, a more regulated approach, and I'm interested to know whether in Spain where they have that regulated approach, it, it, it's it goes down well. I agree with you. I think that the financial regulation in La Liga has saved many clubs from going into bankruptcy. The only ones who complain are those ones who want to invest massively in summer and then they realize they can't until they offload some wages. For example, Barcelona last summer. But it is true as well that uh, there have been some financial miracles in Spanish football, like Villarreal, for example, in the late 90s or the early 2000s, that couldn't have happened with a financial regulation like we have now in La Liga. So the financial regulation of La Liga, let's put it this way, it stops a club from having from rocketing up financially, uh, which is something that sometimes clubs can do. And we have seen this in the past. But on the other hand, well, the clubs are healthy financially right now, the majority of them. And in the past, we saw Atletico going down to the second division, uh, Atletico having really big financial issues, and many more clubs, Sevilla, Betis, Valencia. Well, with La Liga's current financial fair play, That doesn't happen, but as I said before, the miracle of Villarreal maybe wouldn't have happened either, and so on. Uh, but still, uh, considering how badly run was La Liga in the past, look at Deportivo de la Coruña, who are in the fourth division of Spanish football as a result of that. I also back the, the Spanish financial fair play, and the only ones who complain are those ones who want to invest heavily because they have the money, and then La Liga says, well, you cannot do it because you have you to offload uh, some, some salaries from your on your books. Alvaro, Oli, thank you very much. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com slash football pod. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.